Today, the Matt Wall Show, the left has launched a full-scale war against Elon Musk to punish him for allowing free speech on his platform. They're doing it all under the pretense of combating anti-Semitism, but we'll talk about their real motivations today. Also, thousands of hours of January 6th footage are being released, and the footage tells a very different story from the one we were told. And the Miss Universe pageant this weekend featured an obese woman and two dudes. Miss Universe has also gone bankrupt, not surprisingly. We'll talk about all that and more today on the Matt Wall Show. Well, it's finally here. The best deal of the year, 50% off new Daily Wire Plus annual memberships. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe right now to join. We're facing the threat of a potential government shutdown, and the administration will ultimately deal with it the same way they always do, with more spending. More spending will inevitably devalue the dollar. Protect your savings then by diversifying into gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. When you open an IRA with Birch Gold, for every $10,000 you spend by December 22nd, Birch Gold will send you a free gold bar. Just text Walsh to 989898 to claim eligibility before Black Friday. Birch Gold can even help you convert an existing IRA of 401k into an IRA in gold without taking any money out of pocket, and you still get the free gold bars. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of satisfied customers, you can count on Birch Gold to help you transition an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. Don't let your savings fall victim to the further devaluation of the dollar. Text Walsh to 989898. Receive a free info kit on gold and claim your eligibility before Black Friday to receive free gold bars on your qualifying purchase. That's Walsh to 989898. When Elon Musk purchased Twitter a year ago, the federal government and its allies embarked on maybe the single most desperate and obvious campaign to destroy a private citizen that's been undertaken in this country in modern history. Not since Julian Assange began exposing war crimes by the Pentagon has the left turned on one of its heroes so quickly and with so much vitriol. Like Julian Assange, uh, Musk was a catalyst for public discussions that our leaders simply do not want us to be having. Twitter under Musk allows everyone to speak directly to the people in power. It allows average Americans to say what they're actually thinking, free of censorship, at least for the most part. And that's the one thing that the federal government simply cannot permit. So Elon Musk became a villain virtually overnight. The turn uh, was not exactly convincing. Indeed, it's difficult to overstate the extent of the absurdity of this particular smear campaign. They really aren't even trying to hide it. Joe Biden's SEC launched an investigation into whether Musk was trying to build himself a quote-unquote glass house using money from Tesla, which he single-handedly transformed from near bankruptcy into the most profitable car company on the planet. Meanwhile, the DOJ sued Musk's company for not hiring enough refugees, which was so absurd on its face that a judge recently shut the whole thing down. And regulators working for the state of California, who have never produced anything remotely useful in their lives and don't even pretend to, went after Musk because his assembly plants are hotbeds for white supremacy, because some employees overheard a racial slur or something, supposedly. At the same time, the media reassured us again and again that Twitter was on the verge of failing, and it was going to collapse. It would collapse during the midterm elections, they told us last year. Now, none of these attacks were really effective because they were either obviously false or too far removed from Elon Musk himself. The media could claim that some random Tesla factory had racist graffiti in the bathroom, but linking such a heinous fake crime to Elon Musk is not very easy to do. So 
For the past year, the forces of censorship have been grinding away, trying and utterly failing to land a kill shot on Elon Musk. But all the while, they've been waiting, waiting for the perfect moment. If they think they found a perfect moment, it doesn't pan out. They're waiting for the real perfect moment to pounce. Well, last week, these operatives sensed that they'd finally had their opening. It all began on November 15th when uh, a, a video, which we'll play for you in a second, appeared on Twitter, which is now known as X, of course. It's uh, from a group called the Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism, which was founded by the billionaire NFL owner Robert Kraft. And here is the video. Watch. I saw what you've been posting. Hitler was right. I didn't teach you that. You hide behind your screen, spewing all this hatred and ugliness. You got something you want to say? Get out of the truck and say it to their faces. Okay, so the thrust of this ad is pretty simple. An older white guy is upset that his young white son is going, going uh, online and telling people that Hitler did nothing wrong. Uh, but this white kid is too cowardly to say any of that to the group of Jewish people walking by. And the ad concludes by claiming that 70,000 posts have been made online uh, since last year praising Hitler, uh, which we're led to believe is, is uh, very shocking because apparently this is the only kind of insane thing that people post on the internet. I mean, you clearly could not find 70,000 posts saying that white people are evil or that the world is flat or that men can have babies. That would be unheard of. I mean, the internet's not a place where people just randomly say crazy things, not at all. Regardless, uh, right away, there are some deeper criticisms you can make in response to this ad. For one thing, you might point out that the advertisement's choice of actors is pretty conspicuous. All the bad guys, once again, of course, are white. We see this phenomenon in pretty much every advertisement these days. Allstate, in particular, goes out of its way to convey that white guys have a propensity for carjacking, which flies in the face of literally every crime statistics statistic that's been recorded since we had automobiles in this country. And in this case, once again, the casting is absurd. The reality, as unpleasant as it may be, is that uh, black people commit a wildly disproportionate amount of attacks against Jewish people on the basis of their religion. In New York City, for example... Black people are the assailants in roughly 42% of the documented hate crime attacks against Jews in cases where the race of the attacker is known. This is a city, by the way, where blacks make up less than a quarter of the population. And by the way, these statistics don't account for how many of the white attackers have Middle Eastern ancestry, for example. So hearing this, you might object, well, just because they chose a white guy to play an anti-Semite in this one advertisement doesn't mean that they think all white people are anti-Semitic. They're not trying to send any kind of message. But if that's true, you have to ask, where are the ads from the Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism that address non-white people who are anti-Semitic, who are actually committing violent crimes? Where is their ad where a black or Muslim father has to give the talk to his child and tell him not to go around beating Jews up on the street? Well, there isn't one. This group has never made an ad like that. I checked, and it doesn't exist. And that's why 
And that, this is true of uh, many of these kinds of groups that talk about the, uh, the uh, uh, problems of anti-Semitism. They're very, very targeted in the uh, people that they uh, direct that message to. And that's why in response to that video we just played and referring to this trend of left-wing Jewish groups demonizing white people, which is easily observable and therefore something you're not supposed to talk about, I guess, an anonymous user on X wrote this, quote, quoting now, okay, Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them. I'm deeply disinterested in giving the tiniest now about Western Jewish populations coming to the disturbing realization that those hordes of minorities that support flooding their country don't exactly look like them too much. You want truth said to your face? There it is. Now, Elon Musk apparently saw that comment, which was under that video that we just played, and he agreed with it. And here's what Musk posted in response. You have said the actual truth. So just expressing agreement. Now, Musk then elaborated in a follow-up post about an hour and a half later. Musk wrote, quote, The ADL unjustly attacks the majority of the West, despite the majority of the West supporting Jewish people in Israel. This is because they cannot, by their own tenets, criticize the minority groups who are their primary threat. It is not right. It needs to stop. Now, when another poster explained that not all Jewish communities are involved in this kind of race hatred, Musk answered, quote, You're right that this does not extend to all Jewish communities, but it is also not just limited to the ADL. So that is Musk explaining what he is talking about, which, by the way, is also something you're not allowed to do these days. So if you say something and, then, and everyone goes, oh, you said that, you must really mean this, it, it, it's, it's too late for you to come back and say, well, no, that's not what I meant. Here's what I meant. Let, let me, as the person who said the thing, let me explain what I meant, because I'm the only one who can be an authority on what I meant when I said something. I'm the only one who is in my own mind and understands my own intentions. And that should be the end of it. If somebody says something and everyone misinterprets it, say, oh, you must really mean this, and then that person comes back and says, no, I didn't mean that. Here's what I actually meant. That should be the end of the conversation. The one single authority on earth who can speak to that person's motivations has spoken, and so that's it. There's nothing else to be said. But of course, that's not the way it works now. And, uh, but we know that everything um, about what Musk wrote is clearly reasonable you know, about the ADL and so on. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but his arguments make sense. They're logical. They comport with all the data we've seen. And it's the kind of thing we should be able to talk about. But large corporations and the federal government don't want you to have interesting conversations like this. They're forbidden. Instead, they want you to shut up and obey. So one after the other, every major media outlet from the supposedly conservative Wall Street Journal and Fox News to hard left MSNBC and CNN lined up to accuse Musk of anti-Semitism this week. They accused him of hating Jews because he criticized a subset of Jews for doing something that they're obviously doing, which is pushing a left-wing agenda. Here's uh, CBS News, for example. Tech billionaire Elon Musk is under fire for spreading anti-Semitic and racist hate to his 160 million followers on X, formerly known as Twitter. Disney is just becoming the latest advertiser to flee the social media platform out of fear that their ads will appear next to hate speech. CBS's Nancy Cordes is at the White House where the Biden administration today condemned the promotion of what it called hideous anti-Semitic lies. The latest firestorm sparked by Elon Musk on his social media site X is now threatening to spread to his other companies, including SpaceX and electric car maker Tesla, as investors openly muse. Okay, well, you'll notice that ad goes on over that uh, ad, that, that report, which is really an ad, goes on for 
a while, and but nowhere in the CBS report do they provide any context for Musk's remarks. They don't show you the advertisement he was responding to, nor do they show you his follow-up posts, which make it clear exactly who and what he's criticizing and why he's criticizing them. As Elon stated, when he says Jewish communities, he means Jewish organizations like the ADL. And it's obvious that organizations like the ADL and the Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism have been pushing a far-left agenda, as I've already outlined. That is not in dispute. But even if Elon had meant Jewish communities in the broader sense, which he didn't, apparently, because, again, the one single person who can speak to his own motivations and intentions is him, and he's already said what he meant. But even if he had meant that, he would still be correct. It is simply a fact that the Jewish demographic in this country is predominantly liberal. Not all of them, obviously, but a majority. In 2020, Pew found that 7 in 10 Jewish adults identify with the Democratic Party or lean towards it. You know, and conservatives also often point out that black voters largely vote Democrat, which means that they are voting for the very people who have spent generations destroying their communities by refusing to enforce the law, putting dangerous criminals back on the street, and so on. Just go for a walk in Selma sometime after dark if you doubt that. Now, it should not be considered outrageous or bigoted to point out either of these realities. They are simply just realities. As a Catholic, if somebody noted that a majority of Catholics in this country are liberal on social issues, I would not accuse them of anti-Catholic bigotry. Instead, I would accuse them of saying something that happens to be true. As much as I wish it wasn't true, it is, which is why I also point that out about, uh, about Catholics in this country. Now, despite, despite the truth of all of this, or maybe because of it, the outrage dogpile continued to grow. The next organization to jump on top was uh, none other than the White House. Biden's White House put out a statement claiming that Musk was using the same logic that a mass shooter endorsed before killing several people at a synagogue in Pittsburgh in 2018. This is how seriously the federal government takes the First Amendment. Say something they don't like, even if you're a private citizen, and they'll put out a statement condemning you and leak, linking you to a mass murderer. That's how things work in this free country of ours. Next, within hours, the White House's uh, Soros-funded propagandist at Media Matters predictably got involved. Now, you know, we like to have fun with Media Matters here because they act as our inadvertent PR team by constantly promoting my show and the other DW shows in a vain attempt to smear and embarrass us. Yet, although the people at Media Matters are a bunch of bumbling clowns and self-defeating clowns on the top of it, that doesn't make them any less hideously evil. Let's be clear about that. They are an organization that serves no purpose on earth other than to defame and silence conservatives. They will lie. They will slander. They will take things wildly out of context. Uh, they will dig things up from ages ago. They will do whatever they can to destroy you. There is no tactic too low, too unethical for them. But they realize that their efforts to cast all conservative voices out into the hinterlands cannot be successful as long as Musk controls one of the biggest social media platforms, which is why he must be destroyed. So Media Matters, they didn't just stop with that one article. I mean, this, this controversy for them, this is like their Super Bowl. They're, they're so excited. They are thrilled, and they see it as their one realistic chance to take out Musk. So just a day after Musk's post about ADL and other Jewish groups, Media Matters posted a lengthy hit piece about X, and the point of this hit piece was to convince advertisers to drop the platform and then bankrupt the company. And to that end, Media Matters specifically alleged that, quote, as ex-owner, Elon Musk continues his descent into white nationalist and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. His social media platform has been placing ads for major brands like Apple, Bravo, 
IBM, Oracle, and Xfinity next to content that touts Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party. And this hit piece was followed by dozens of others. If you go to Media Matters homepage right now, you will find that all of their featured stories are about Elon. It's just one Elon story after another all over their homepage. So predictably, almost as if it was coordinated, a bunch of companies like IBM and Lionsgate and Paramount and Apple responded to this hit piece by suspending their ad campaigns on X. They didn't even wait for Musk's response to, to Media Matters or any kind of independent investigation whatsoever. They decided to cut off Musk's entire social media site because one rabidly left-wing group claimed that they found some ads next to objectionable content. But it appears that Media Matters isn't just writing hit pieces. Musk and executives at X looked into what Media Matters was claiming, and in a statement posted to his account, Musk noted that, quote, to manipulate the public and advertisers, Media Matters created an alternate account and curated the posts and advertising appearing on the account's timeline to misinform advertisers about the placement of their posts. Specifically, an executive uh, later alleged that, quote, Media Matters created three accounts and followed 30 accounts similar to the ones in the article. They then constantly refreshed the timeline of posts, 13 times uh, the number of ads served to this user as opposed to the median. 50 impressions served against the content in the article out of 5.5 billion served the whole day. Points to the, to the fact of how efficient our model avoids content for advertisers. Data wins over allegations. So in other words, if it all sounds kind of confusing, Media Matters appears to have engineered an artificial scenario to slander Elon Musk and X. They didn't approach this, approach this in any kind of impartial way. They weren't trying to gather information. They were trying to write a malicious hit piece and cook the data, and they did. And they appear to have cost uh, Twitter X millions of dollars because of it. Now, for conservatives, this is a familiar story. This is the part where the right usually lies down accepts their scolding from the far left and goes into hiding, all the while begging their enemies not to call them racist anymore. But for once, that's not happening here. After gathering all this data uh, that reveals what, what Media Matters has done, Musk wrote, quote, the split-second court opens on Monday. X Corp will be filing a thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters and all those who colluded in this fraudulent attack on our company. Musk added that he's going after, quote, their board, their donors, their network of dark money, all of them. Now, um, there are a handful of obvious justifications for a lawsuit by X against Media Matters. For one, they appear to have deliberately interfered with X's contractual relationships with his advertisers, using fraud and deceit in the process. But what's maybe more interesting about this lawsuit, aside from the financial ramifications, is what X could learn in discovery. It'd be very interesting to uncover the potential level of collusion between Media Matters and all of these corporate advertisers. It would be very interesting to learn the extent of the Biden administration's involvement in all of this. Mostly, it would be great to see these soulless hacks at Media Matters get punched back by the richest man on the planet. Usually, they target people who don't have the resources to challenge them in court. This is the game that these people play. They have a lot of resources, a lot of money. And uh, usually, even if they go after someone who is just like regular rich, it's still not, they don't have nearly enough money to withstand it or to, to, to survive any kind of court challenge or anything. Elon Musk is the richest man on the planet, so if there's anything he has, it's resources. Now, the truth is that the system hates Musk for a simple reason. He has provided the one major platform in existence where we can all speak freely. That's why they're coming after him. He committed the cardinal sin of allowing us to speak, and as far as Media Matters is concerned, this is unforgivable. That's why Elon should, as he's threatened, sue them into bankruptcy, and also boot them from his platform. 
After all, they don't believe that everyone should have access to social media. So for once, let's hold them to their own standard. If we can do that, the media matters and its various cutouts will be destroyed completely. They will never come back. And then the adults in this country can have real conversations about how to make our cities livable again. We can talk about whether it's wise to endlessly print money to fund foreign wars and pay for useless bureaucrats while our currency loses value by the day. We can have all these conversations and many more. All the conversations that leftist activists desperately don't want us to have. This was the fight that was inevitable from the day Elon Musk bought Twitter. And now it's here and we need to win it. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, there's a lot at stake this November, so don't be chicken and shop at the grocery store like usual. Instead, head over to Good Ranchers where they have great meat puns, but even better, uh, they actually have great meat too. The puns are great, but the meat is even better. Don't miss their Black Friday Your Way sale now live. This November, get your favorite meat free for an entire year. That's right, one year of free steak, salmon, chicken, or bacon when you subscribe to any box right now. Better yet, when you subscribe to any box on GoodRanchers.com, you not only get a free gift of meat worth up to $480, but you also get $15 off with code Walsh. The only big deal your grocery store has is on expiring food. So ditch the meat aisle and subscribe at GoodRanchers.com today. Claim your year of free meat, $15 off, and free shipping with my code Walsh at GoodRanchers.com. Good Ranchers is the number one place to get all-American beef, pork, chicken, and seafood. That's promo code Walsh at GoodRanchers.com. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Daily Wire has a report that GOP-led House began on Friday to release tens of thousands of hours of video footage from January 6th, 2021, the day of the U.S. Capitol breached the public. Speaker Mike Johnson, who was less than a month into the job, announced the rolling uh, disclosure of more than 40,000 hours of footage to a, a website. His office said the footage will not include a small portion of video that may contain sensitive security information or information that could lead to retaliation against private citizens. Uh, Johnson said in a post to X, uh, quote, to restore America's trust and faith in their government, we must have transparency. This is another step towards keeping the promises I made when I was elected to be your speaker. Some Republican lawmakers and others have long pressed for the release of security footage of the day when a crowd of people entered the U.S. Capitol. Uh, but of course, those uh, up until now, people urging for that disclosure have been rebuffed. Um, and now it's all being made public. Now, over the weekend, a bunch of, uh, of uh, you know, previously unreleased videos started circulating um, on social media. Well, on Twitter, at least. If Twitter didn't exist or if Elon Musk didn't own it, then uh, we could be pretty sure that these videos uh, w- we would not see, which is, which is like another big reason why it's, it's emblematic of the reason why the left wants to destroy Elon Musk. So um, we'll take a look at one of the... Uh, this is a couple of videos we'll take a look at. Here's one where we could see it's just basically a stream of people kind of casually walking down the hallway. Let's take a look at that briefly. Okay. And the people are just, you can see them just walking casually down the hallway. They've got their flags. The cops are standing there. They're filming very, very casual. And that's a video. And there's a lot of videos like that. Um, there's one other, before we talk about this, there's one other I want to show. This one, you can see it's a, um, uh, a protester is is being let out in handcuffs, but then the handcuffs are taken off, and he fist bumps the officer and walks away. Let's watch that one. Okay, there he is in the cuffs. Appears to be wearing some kind of motorcycle helmet or something. They take the handcuffs off. He fist bumps the guy, and then that's it. Well, they give him his bag back, and he walks away. 
All right. So uh, what do we make of this? Well, there's, there's a, a reason why it took them almost three years to release this footage. You know, that's one thing we can learn from it. There was never any good, legitimate reason to not release it. I'll make the same argument I did with the, uh, the, the Covenant Shooter Manifesto. It is not the government's job to decide what information we need to be told. Uh, tra- and we are very accustomed to the government assuming that job that we, we almost would think that this is one of the government's fundamental jobs because it's our entire lives. This is how they, this, is, this has been their primary function is to uh, figure out what information we should be told, suppress information. This is, this is not the government's job. Transparency should be the rule, not the exception. You know, unless it's a, a case, you know, actual clear-cut case of national security or some other rare exception, we should just be told everything. And this is especially true because even if I agreed that the state should um, or would be justified in withholding information from us because uh, they don't want us to, to draw politically inconvenient conclusions, which of course I don't agree with that, but if I did, people will draw those conclusions if you don't tell them everything. And in this case, whatever they were worried about people thinking about January 6th, we already thought it because they wouldn't show us the tapes. And now we see it, it only confirms what we already assumed. So by their own logic, whatever they're trying to uh, do, it's it's self-defeating. And so then what was January 6th? You can see in all these videos, it obviously was not an insurrection. It was not a terrorist attack. Um, It is not a tragedy on the level of 9-11. It did not warrant three years of hearings and trials and theatrical productions, not to mention that in some cases, you know, you got decades and decades of prison time. Uh, Didn't warrant all that. It was something that in many cases was mild enough that lots of these people clearly didn't even think they were breaking any laws. That's why they're walking casually by these police officers in the hallway. If you think that you're breaking a law, it's, that's, that's not how you would conduct yourself. I mean, if I was there and I saw people just being led into the Capitol building and allowed to walk around while cops stand there and watch and give them fist bumps, um, and also if I was extremely naive, so if, if all those things were true, I would probably assume that, okay, I guess we're allowed to do this. Now, I'm not naive, so I would have known, as I, as I did on, on the day when this was happening and said so, that these people are walking into a trap. They're walking into something that's going to destroy their lives. But for a lot of these people, as the videos clearly show, um, their crime was naivete. They, 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 that was it for a lot of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And whatever else you want to say about it, to call this an insurrection is just ridiculous. Like, what insurrection in history could have ever been confused with a guided tour like this one? If I showed you that video, and I, without context, and I told you, oh, this is uh, some people going on a guided tour of the Capitol, you'd believe me. You know, if you had no context at all, you saw these, okay, yeah, well, it's, it's a big group of people. It's a little weird they have flags that they're carrying, but other than that, Sure. So that's what I want to, that's what, that, that is what I ask you. Give me another example of an insurrection that you could pull like hundreds of hours of video of the insurrection happening. And if you didn't know any better, you would confuse it with a guided tour of a government building. Because that's what a lot of this looked like. Um, 
And so obviously what we're being told about it is absurd. All right, speaking of Elon Musk, as we were in the opening, SpaceX launched its uh, latest Starship on Saturday. And I think we have the video of, yeah, we have that. Uh, let's take a look at the Starship launch here. Pretty amazing. I say that not sorry. It sounds everything I say sounds sarcastic, but I didn't mean sarcastic. It's actually amazing. All right, so um, here's a CNN report on that. SpaceX's gargantuan deep space rocket system Starship safely lifted off Saturday morning, but ended prematurely with an explosion and a loss of signal. The super heavy booster and Starship spacecraft successfully separated after liftoff as the Starship lit up its engines and pushed away. The process ended up destroying the super heavy booster, which erupted into a ball of flames over the Gulf of Mexico. But the Starship spacecraft was able to briefly continue its journey. The Starship upper stage had begun its trip Saturday morning, strapped to the top of the super heavy first stage, a 232-foot-tall rocket. About two and a half minutes after roaring to life and vaulting off the launch pad, the super heavy booster expanded most of its fuel, and, um, and the Starship spacecraft fired its own engines and broke away. Um, so... Now, this was not a failure. The rocket was not meant to go into outer space. It was all part of the testing process. And of course, with this launch, as with others, you know, you had morons in the media and on social media snickering about it. Oh, the rocket exploded. Idiots. And these, as always, are losers who achieve nothing of substance in their lives, laughing at a guy who's building rockets to send to Mars. This is a rocket, by the way, 121 meters, okay? The Empire State Building is like 400 meters, so this is about a quarter of the size of the Empire State Building, which is really, really big, okay? This, is, this, is, this thing is, it, it is a skyscraper size, so this is like, this is a skyscraper that is being launched into space. It's going to hold 150 tons, 100 people. Uh, it's designed to be reusable, which means take off and land and take off again, and they're still building it and testing it, but that's, that ultimately is what it will be. It's a, this massive thing that can take off and land. Um, and it's, it's a, a monumental feat. And of course, the ultimate goal is to take people to Mars. And look, you know that I'm, I'm a nerd about this stuff. I don't, I'm not going to give you the whole speech again. You've heard the speech. I'm not going to give you the whole speech. Uh, I'm a huge believer in space exploration. I think going to Mars is a great goal. It would be, without question, the greatest human achievement of all time. If Elon Musk can pull it off, then he will be the author of the greatest human achievement ever. Um, and that's why it's so ridiculous to me when you hear people who, who are like, well, why do, you, why, why do you want to go to Mars? What's the point? Really? Why does someone want to achieve the greatest thing ever in history? Why? Is that not self-evident to you? I don't know, because it's the greatest thing ever in history? It's like, that's, that's enough reason. I don't think you need any other reason but that. Why does somebody want to fundamentally like alter the trajectory of the entire human species? Why does someone want to expand the reach of the human race beyond our planet? Why do we want to be able to see and explore the rest of the universe that we live in? I mean, why? The people that ask why to something like that, it's like, we, you know, we can't be friends. I, I don't want to talk to you. You're too boring. You're too dull. You're too stupid. You don't have the spirit of discovery. You don't have greatness within you, which is why you don't understand greatness. Um, 
I don't know what else to say to you. Like, there's nothing else to say. I, this is what we need right now as a species, as a civilization. I believe that. We were great as a civilization when we were exploring, when we were discovering. And uh, a civilization that loses its spirit of discovery is a civilization that loses its will to exist. And so don't give me that, well, we have bigger problems here on Earth to solve. You sound like every dumb, boring, inconsequential nobody naysayer in history. You sound like the people that tried to dissuade Magellan and Columbus and Armstrong and Shackleton and Amundsen. I mean, all of these great names that you know or should know, um, you sound like the people who are on, on the opposing side. who say, oh, don't bother. What's the point of doing that? That's pointless. We got bigger problems here. Like, not everything that people do is, is designed to solve our practical problems that we're experiencing day to day. We should deal with those problems, too. But we need to have people that are focused beyond that. Okay, people that are focused beyond, like, the, the immediate right now. And what would it be like? What would it be like if your, it, your side of the argument, if you're one of these, uh, there's no point. Why? Why do it? Why do a great thing? Why? If you're one of these people, do you understand that if your side of the argument had won historically, like, what kind of a world would we live in right now? A much smaller one, I can tell you that. One without greatness. One without achievement. But I'm not giving you the whole speech. I just did, but I'm not. So just stop all. Just stop. Stop not caring about this stuff. Stop not caring about it. Stop it. Or start it. Start caring. Better way to say that. Okay, back to politics, unfortunately. Trump has now moved ahead of Biden in the polls in uh, what the media mournfully tells us is a historic moment when Biden, uh, Trump is beating Biden in the polls. Um, here is the media talking about this and expressing total shock and dismay. Watch. Donald Trump, we have at 46%. Biden, 44. And this is significant because this is the first time in the history of our poll that former President Trump beats President Biden still within the margin of error, but still significant. Yeah, it's 2019, 2020, when Trump was president, he trailed all of them. This year, he's trailed all of them in our poll. First time in more than a dozen polls, we've seen a result like this. Some of the other ingredients that go into that, Biden has long had an advantage over Trump on likability. Look, at the start of this year, 39% said they had a positive view of Biden, barely 30 of Trump. We've seen consistently a gap like this. Now, the gap is gone. Mm. 36 positive on both, and actually Biden, one point more negative than Trump. That's been a significant advantage for Biden. Our poll says that advantage, at least for now, may be gone. And we talked about younger voters on foreign policy, and it's true on a host of other topics. Disaffected with Joe Biden, we have 46% for Trump, 42% for Biden among the youngest voters. The youngest voters in the 2020 election were Biden plus 26 this could be a massive sea change. Okay. And if you take a look here, too. So those are the results, and they're, they're shocked by this. But imagine being shocked by this. We talked before about naivete. Well, I mean, the, the naivete uh, of being shocked by this. Shocked that a senile, decrepit president who has run the most incompetent White House in history and overseen the decline of every aspect of American life is now losing. You're surprised? Why is he losing? He's just, he's just senile and, and has dementia and can't speak or, or walk or talk. And everything has gotten worse under his tenure. Why is he losing? 
And by the way, Biden is losing to everyone in the polls. Any Republican beats him. Anyone. Um, and so there's only one question for Democrats, and, and here's what they have to decide. This is what they are, you know, this is what they are uh, talking about right now um, in private and even somewhat out in the open, which is, do they want to replace Biden now and deal with all, with all that that entails? Um, which also, you know, part of the calculation, too, is that if they replace Biden and they take some who they consider to be some young and up-and-coming star uh, and they throw him in there against Trump, then does that person run the risk of getting totally sullied and beaten by Trump? Um, and then you've just destroyed the career of this person who you want to be the future of the Democrat Party. So another thing that they're looking at is like, hey, maybe we're going to lose anyway in 2024. And so we might as well make Biden the scapegoat for that because he's like old and he's going to be dead and no one cares. So I think they're thinking about all these things. Um, do they want to actually make an effort to win or not? And if not, then they can they just rely on the fact that they own the bureaucracy and they'll still own the bureaucracy uh, no matter who wins? So th this, is the, this is part of the calculation for Democrats all the time. They're saying, well... We want to win so we can run the government. If we don't win, we still run the government. And this has been their approach for decades, after all. Now, sure, when, when uh, Democrats lose the White House, lose an election, the idiot leftists in the street start crying and they're shouting and screaming and all that and shouting no to the heavens in despair. But the smart ones, the ones in power, they know that they remain in power regardless. And that's why we've seen this march leftward in our government that continues unabated no matter who is in office. Nobody's reversed this. No Republican has reversed this. Trump didn't reverse it. He left, and they picked right back up where they were before. Uh, they erased everything that he did in like a day. And, uh, and, and so that's their attitude. That's, that's the thing. It's like, so, so, and this is the thing I don't hear conservatives very often acknowledging. That for Democrats, that is what they're choosing between. It's like, do they, do they want to actually try to win the White House so they can run the government in 2024? Or do they want to say, okay, well, we don't need to win and we'll just run the government the way we were during the Trump administration. And I'm not being a defeatist when I say this. I'm just saying what I've been saying, which is that if a Republican wins in 2024, they need to go to war against the bureaucracy. Call it the swamp. Call it the deep state. Um, call it whatever you want to call it. It is the bureaucracy. Okay, maybe that's not like as fun of a of a of a nickname for it, um, but that's actually what it is. It is the bureaucracy, the federal bureaucracy, which, as we've been talking about, is is massive. Okay, um, like astronomically huge, and it is totally ideologically captured by the left. And that doesn't make it a hopeless situation, but it is hopeless if whoever wins the White House as a Republican is not dead set on completely dismantling this thing. And dealing with all, because if you set out to do it, you, you put it in place something like uh, Vivek's plan, cutting 50% of them right off the bat and then continuing to cut. If you do something like that, the outrage from the media, it's like we've never seen. If you think they're mad at Trump, 
You never seen how they would respond to that. I mean, it's it's like unimaginable the levels of outrage, and they're going to try to destroy you. Of course, they're going to take you to court. They're going to try to impeach you. They're going to do everything. They're going to try to put you in prison for it. Like they're going to find um, because they would. And why would they do that? Because they recognize that okay, now you're actually getting to the heart of their power, and they cannot allow that. So we shouldn't be uh, ourselves naive about what about what that would mean. But this is what's necessary. You have to gut it. You have to carve it to pieces. You have to destroy it. And if you don't, if we get someone in there in 2024 and they don't do anything about the bureaucracy and they just are kind of like in the White House and then they leave, then we gain nothing from it. It doesn't matter. It simply doesn't matter. To have a Republican president who just sits there for four years and then leaves and doesn't do anything about the bureaucracy, that makes, it makes no difference. It makes no difference. And whatever small difference can be made can be erased by that same bureaucracy like that. So we know what Ramaswamy's plan is. We've heard from DeSantis. We need, we need detailed, detailed plans about what are they going to do about this bureaucracy slash swamp slash deep state. What are they going to do to destroy it? All right. Finally, uh, from Daily Wire, outspoken leftist author Stephen King blamed the box office failure of the Marvels on woman-hating fanboys. Most of social media followers aren't letting him get away with it. Um, Stephen King said, "Some of the rejection of the Marvels may be adult Marvels. That is Marvels. Some of the rejection of the Marvels may be adolescent fanboy hate. You know, yuck, girls." Um, that's what he said. This was after Marvel's was a massive disappointment for the MCU, pulling in just $47 million during its opening weekend, the lowest in the franchise's history. Um, but what's funny is that there's a few things funny about this, but, but King, Stephen King earlier the same day had tweeted this. I don't go to MCU movies, don't care for them, but I find this barely masked gloating over the low box office for the Marvel's very unpleasant. Why gloat over failure? So, He's sure that the only reason people don't like it is because they're sexist, but he hasn't even seen the movie and isn't interested in seeing it himself. As far as why people are gloating over the failure, I, Steve and I will answer that for you. We're gloating. Well, I'm gloating. I can only answer. I can only speak for myself. But uh, I'm gloating because the Marvels represents everything that is terrible about modern films, everything that is destroying modern films. And it's bad that modern films are being destroyed because film is an important and powerful art form. It really matters. But it's being cannibalized by the Marvels and all and all the stuff like it. And specifically, the Marvels is, first of all, of course, a lifeless cash grab superhero movie that does not exist for any reason other than making money. We talked about this last week. You know, it, it's you, you know that I'm not a superhero fan. Um, but this is the point, like, this is the central criticism that I have of these kinds of, because I, I, you know, I, I know there are plenty of people that don't like the Marvels, but they like superhero movies in general, and so they don't like it when I criticize it, but, you know, these films, and it's not just superhero movies, it's like all these franchise films, Star Wars, all the rest of it, all this stuff, they exist only to make money. And, and yes, every movie has people financing it and producing it who are perhaps mainly or even solely concerned about the money. So every movie is supposed to make money. Every, people, every movie has people involved at some level who only care about the money. Of course, that is true. But traditionally, you have people, the people who are most connected to the film, like the actual um, filmmakers and actors who also want to make money, but, but before that, they want to tell a story. They're, they're making the movie because they are saying to the audience, 
we've got this great story we want to tell you. And there's still some filmmakers out there like this. You know, someone like uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, or a filmmaker like that, a real filmmaker, a, a brilliant genius filmmaker, who makes a movie because he's saying, like, I've got a story I want to tell you, and so, and it's an important story to me, and so I'm going to tell you this story. Gather around, kids. Gather around the campfire. I'm going to tell you a story. Well, these superhero movies don't have anyone involved at any level who actually wants to tell the story or cares about the story. Literally every single person at every level, from the actors and directors and producers all the way up to uh, people running the the film, the uh, you know production companies, everyone involved, they're just doing. They're only doing it for the money. They don't care about the story. The story is like basically non-existent. They're exploiting a brand. They're not telling a story at all. So nobody involved in the Marvels actually said to themselves, "Oh man, this is a story I just have to tell." Nobody said that. Whoever wrote the script wasn't saying, like, didn't feel as they were writing. And you could tell, like, when you watch, when I say lifeless, that's what I mean by lifeless, that you could tell there's no artistic passion from anyone involved in this thing, including the people who wrote it. The person who wrote it, whoever wrote the Marvels or multiple people who wrote it, they were just, it's like they're punching in nine to five. And they were they were told to write this thing because it's a brand and they want to make, and so they wrote it. And they, 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 don't, they don't care about it. They just wrote it. And they made money and that's it. Um. And I'm not saying that every movie has to be uh, has to be Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm not saying every movie has to be like deeply artistically uh, brilliant. You can have movies that are just fun, but even fun movies to be actually fun, they, it, 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 they have to value the story that they're telling. And if nobody cares about the story, then it is going to be boring and lifeless, no matter how many fancy special effects they put on the screen. So that is why. I, at least, am gloating over this. And then on top of the wokeness and the political correctness and everything else. To me, that's like secondary to this greater problem. All right, let's get to Was Walsh Wrong. You know, while you're out shopping for kids, uh, family, and friends this weekend, don't forget to shop for your pets, too. Give your dog the gift of a healthier and happier life with Rough Greens. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Before I started feeding my dog Rough Greens, I had no idea that dog food is dead food. It contains very little nutritional value. Think about it. Nutrition isn't brown, it's green. Let Rough Greens bring your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. You just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for dogs too. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black is so confident Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering my listeners a free jumpstart trial bag so your dog can try it. Get a free jumpstart trial bag delivered straight to your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700. That's R-U-F-F greens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700 today. Last week, we talked about drug legalization. I pointed out how it has been a disaster everywhere, uh, especially in Oregon, where they decriminalized all drugs. But even in places uh, where they only legalized or decriminalized weed, it has also been um, it has also been bad. It's been pretty disastrous. Lots of commenters didn't appreciate that part of our discussion, especially. So I'll read a few comments about that. The Right Stuff says, you cannot compare a plant made by God slash nature to a man-made chemical derivative 
Cigarettes and alcohol are much more of a slippery slope than marijuana. It affects different people in different ways. It's not for everyone either. Drug war shootouts are uh, far more deadly. Um, Another comment says, Matt just contradicted himself. He says marijuana causes violence, but then he says that marijuana is encouraged so the masses can be drugged and passive. Um, So you seem to be suggesting that one cannot be both passive and violent, which I think is absolutely not true. One cannot be both apathetic and violent, you're saying, which I would say uh, absolutely you could not be more wrong about that. In fact, the worst forms of violence are the ones that are committed apathetically, indifferently. Um, but, well, I'll, I'll keep reading, then I'll respond in general teeth. Galileo Telescope says, I'm a moderate who leans left but still likes Matt Walsh. That being said, when will conservative influencers learn that weed is a losing issue? Even most Republicans support it. B. Lloyd says, Matt, I'm an OG member of the SBG, but your take on marijuana making people more violent is so aggressively wrong that I'm starting to wonder about your credibility on other topics now. I've known many potheads, and not once has weed made any of them more violent. Teen Clueless says, Walsh, you know better than anyone else that it's not the weed, it's the people. Same way it is with the guns. A good person using weed will not be any more likely to commit a crime. Okay, let me note a few things here. Um, First of all, the whole argument that weed is a plant, so it's okay to consume, is ridiculous. Opium is a plant. Lots of things are plants but they're not supposed to be consumed. Like just because it grows naturally doesn't mean you're automatically supposed to eat it, much less light it on fire and smoke it. Um, So so there are a lot of poisonous, organically grown plants out there that you you should not put in your body or on your body. Uh, So that alone does not, well, God made it. God made it, so you, so so therefore, automatically, you can set it on fire and inhale it, and it's a good idea. <laughs> what kind of a what kind of a uh, thought process is that? Second, related to that, it was it was claimed that cigarettes are so much worse than weed, but tobacco is also a plant. Alcohol, okay, alcohol comes from um, depending on what kind of alcohol you're talking about, but uh, let's say whiskey, for example, there are the plants and grains. Uh, that that are used to make the alcohol. So, and besides, say whatever you want about, say, cigarettes. Two things cannot be denied. One, tobacco helped build this country. Okay, we would not have a country without tobacco. Without the tobacco plant, this country doesn't exist. So it, is, it has been crucial, central to this country from its foundation. The same cannot be said for marijuana. Uh, tobacco is as American as apple pie. It is. You, know, you don't have to like it, but it is. Second, I would much, much rather live in a society filled with people who are uh, on nicotine over people who are stoned. Nicotine makes you more alert, more productive. Weed does not have that effect, okay? Like back when everyone smoked cigarettes everywhere, you go back to like the 40s, Everyone's smoking cigarettes. Everywhere you go, just everything smells like cigarettes. And back then, we were a highly productive country. We have never been more productive. This back when we were building skyscrapers and winning world wars and going to the moon and stuff. Now, I'm not saying all that happened because of cigarettes. I'm just saying that societally, the effects of cigarettes are actually pretty positive, and same is not true of weed. Okay, you, you like. Does anyone really want to deny that? You take a, take a city, have everyone smoke cigarettes, 
They're all, they're, they're all uh, dosing themselves with nicotine. Have another city. Everyone's stoned. Which city do you think, which one would you rather live in? Like, which one do you think is going to be more productive? Third point, um, the research says what it says about the link between weed and violence, the link between weed and psychosis. It's a psychoactive drug. It messes with people's minds. It just does. And fourth and finally, nobody's really answered my question or taken up my challenge on this topic. So here it is again. Can you argue that the legalization or decriminalization of weed in cities across this country has made those cities better? Has the policy made our society a better place to live, yes or no? Tell me that it has. You really want to say that? When you go, if you travel around the country as I do now and you go everywhere, everything just reeks of weed, everyone's stoned. Is that, is that made us better? Is it, is it like, a, are you saying, oh, it's a much better place to live? This is great. This is, this is certainly preferable to before. You want to claim that. How so? So, I, look, I know if, if you smoke a lot of weed, you hear this kind of thing, you take it as a personal attack. I get it. I don't care. Um, but if you can, just try to think objectively about it, just for a second. Just for, put yourself aside for a second. Think objectively about it. How has this made our country a better place? Um, and I would argue, I guess this is like controversial or something. It shouldn't be. But any policy that is being proposed, like the policy of legalizing or decriminalizing marijuana, anyone who's proposing a policy, a law, a change in the law, the first question that should be asked is, how will it make society a better place to live? That should be the first question. Yes, before even questions of, what are our rights? Is it right? To me, does it make society a better place? That's a, that's more, it's a more important question. Because if the answer is, if, if you could say, well, here's a policy, and I say, how does it make society better? Oh, no, no, it makes it worse. Well, why the hell would we do it then? Like, if it makes life worse, then what's the point of it? Why would we knowingly embark on a path that is going to make society worse for everybody living in it? This is, again, it's that this libertarian mind virus that people still suffer from, where they think that, like, that kind of consideration shouldn't even be taken. We shouldn't even take that into consideration, according to a lot of libertarians. The idea, like, the question of whether it makes our life better is irrelevant to them which is crazy. Um, and so if somebody has an argument and they can look around at our cities now where le- weed is legalized and say, oh yeah, it's better. better <laughs> it's better now because of that. Uh, go ahead and make that argument. But if you're not making that argument, then you're not really responding to me at all. You're saying things that are irrelevant. The October 15th tax deadline has come and gone. I know many of you uh, might be dreading the stress of filing your taxes. Filing your taxes can be a long, excruciating process, but If you fail to file, you'll start to pile penalties on your tax debt. That's why you need to check out Tax Network USA. The team at Tax Network USA has a track record of success. They've reduced tax debt for numerous clients, totaling over $1 billion. Whether you're looking at $10,000 or a $1 million tax debt, they can help you with a settlement. It doesn't matter if you haven't filed in one year, five years, or even a whole decade. Tax Network USA is equipped to secure the best settlement for you. The expert attorneys and tax professionals at Tax Network USA can help resolve all tax cases no matter how they started. Don't let tax debt control your life any longer. Take the first step toward resolving your tax issues by visiting taxnetworkusa.com Walsh. That's taxnetworkusa.com slash Walsh today.
By now you've heard the Daily Wire Plus annual memberships are 50% off during the Black Friday sale, but there are so many more great deals waiting for you. Check out the Daily Wire Black Friday shopping guide at dailywire.com slash Black Friday. We're making a Black Friday shopping easier than ever with the best deals of the year all in one place. Find the perfect gift for men on your Black Friday list with up to 40% off Jeremy's Razor's most popular products, including the best-selling men's shaving kits and bundles like the Alpha Bundle, the Precision 5, and the Founder Kit. From Jeremy's Chocolates to the all-new Jeremy's Deodorant, start and finish your Black Friday shopping with us this year. The best part is you can stop giving your money to woke corporations this Black Friday. See all the best deals of the year inside the Daily Wire gift guide now at dailywire.com slash Black Friday. You know, I've never been a fan of beauty pageants. Certainly any beauty pageant involving children is creepy and bizarre, to put it mildly. Adult beauty pageants are perhaps not so viscerally disturbing nor necessarily inappropriate, but still, uh, they've never really interested me. And yet, as to this latter category, I can understand the idea behind them. That's because the concept is very basic. In some ways, it's the most basic of concepts. It's an opportunity to admire and celebrate beautiful women, which is something that human beings have always done through history and in every culture. In fact, beauty pageants can trace their lineage back to the Middle Ages. They weren't called beauty pageants at the time, but the idea was basically the same. Get together all the beautiful women in a certain area and crown one of them the most beautiful of all. Now, whether this is a worthwhile activity is a different question, but at least the activity is comprehensible. It serves a function. Whatever else you might say about that function, it still serves one. But what happens when an event meant to celebrate beautiful women removes both of the elements of the thing that it's supposed to be celebrating? What happens when, you, when your culture goes so completely insane that beauty pageants no longer care about whether a woman is beautiful or even whether she's actually a woman? What happens is you end up with the debacle known as Miss Universe. The annual Miss Universe pageant was held in El Salvador this weekend. Uh, Miss Universe has been running for 72 years, and for most of those seven decades, it, it went the way that beauty pageants typically go. It made sense in its way. It did what beauty pageants are supposed to do, uh, yeah, which is celebrate beautiful women. Yet, in the era of wokeness, nothing in the grip of the disease is allowed to do what it is supposed to do. That includes, especially includes, beauty pageants. So here's what the Miss Universe competition looked like in 2023, reading from the Daily Mail. Nicaragua's Shanice Palacios has been crowned Miss Universe 2023 at the 72nd annual beauty pageant held in San Salvador last night, making history as the first delegate from Nicaragua to win the title. It all makes sense so far, but let's continue. In addition to Shanice's victory, the event saw several more historic firsts, including two mother candidates, two transgender women, and a plus-size individual. Shanice, 23, pipped Antonio Porcild of Thailand for the prestigious title. Pipped? How does that mean? You can't just throw that word in there. Pipped? Pipped her? It's a British. It's a British word, I guess. Damn Brits. Anyway, it looked... Uh, Looked elated as she was crowned by last year's winner, uh, USA's Rabani Nola Gabriel. Two trans women featured at the pageant this year. Ricky Collet, a 22-year-old LGBTQIA plus rights activist who was crowned Miss Netherlands in July. And Miss Portugal's Marina Machete. Marina Machete. Who works as, what, what is with the names? Second, what is the with all the names here? The, this, this whole article is conspiring against me. Every None of these names makes, these aren't even names. Marina Machete. She works as cabin crew and was uh, named as her country's entry in October. Also eliminated at the time, at the same stage, was Pakistan's first entry into the competition, Erica Robin, 
who wore a bikini, a burkini in the swimsuit round. Now, you can see here the, the plus size competitor and the one in the burkini. And for those who are listening to the audio podcast, if you're wondering what a burkini is, it's apparently just a burqa that you call a burkini if you're wearing it in the water. Though wearing a full robe in the water seems impractical and also potentially hazardous. And for the record, I don't, in, I don't at all intend to mock any woman whose faith calls her to abide by strict forms of modesty. Better to be too modest than not modest enough from my perspective. But the burqa would seem to defeat the purpose of a bikini contest. Like it's, it's like wearing a poncho to compete in a wet t-shirt contest. If you're really interested in being modest, which is great, it seems that you just wouldn't be on stage for the event in the first place. Um, the greater absurdity, of course, is the presence of the quote-unquote trans women, otherwise known as men, who managed to be crowned the most beautiful women of their respective countries in order to win a spot in the Miss Universe pageant, which is a pretty brutal insult to the actual women of Portugal and, and the Netherlands, given that these two men look like this. Watch. Billy. Now, keep in mind that, uh, keep in mind as you see that, that this is the absolute best that a man can hope to achieve in his effort to become a woman. This is the product of thousands of dollars of makeup, plastic surgery, professional stylists, makeup artists, lighting, all the rest of it. Like all of this effort and time and money gone into their appearance. Most quote unquote trans women will never get close to that. Most end up looking like Rachel Levine. And yet, even these, these two, even these two, standing at the pinnacle of faux womanhood, competing in, a, in an international beauty pageant as women, still, they look nothing like actual women. They are still cartoonish, inauthentic, unearthly imitations of women. They are as close to a woman as a man can get, and yet they are still a galaxy away. They are still an eternity away. As close as you can get, and yet they are really no closer than anyone. They're no closer than Rachel Levine. Now, uh, it's no surprise, though, that they made it on stage, given that the person who runs the company that now owns Miss Universe looks and sounds like this. Watch. The Miss Universe organization from now on is going to be ran by women, owned by a trans woman. For all women. For all women really around the world to celebrate the power of feminism. Mm. It's just, look, you are who you are. You cannot escape who you are, which is why they're always, you know, all the plastic surgery, everything else that goes into it, you can't, the voice, you can still tell it by the voice. The shoulders, the hands, like things like that. It's just, it's just you're you're still a man. That's that's you can't you cannot get away from it. You cannot even escape one inch from from uh, from who you actually are. You are that is who you are, and you will never be anything but that. Um, but he says Miss Universe is now finally run by women, except for the fact that it's run by a man. Run as it turns out completely into the ground. Indeed, mere days before the pageant featuring the obese woman and the women who are not women. Miss Universe filed for bankruptcy. These are, of course, not disconnected events. A beauty pageant that does not focus exclusively on beautiful women, or even just on women, serves no purpose. So say whatever you want about its original purpose, at least it had one. Now it has none. There's no reason for anyone to care about it. 
It's just a hodgepodge of random things happening. A fat woman walks on stage, a man walks on stage, a woman in a burqa, an Amish guy, like whatever. It's just, it's just a ran- That's what the beauty pageant is. That's just random people on stage walking around. What's the point of any of it? It has become an absurdity, a mockery. It was frivolous before. Like a beauty pageants before were frivolous, but now they're incoherent. And those two things are not the same. There is a place for frivolity, but you need some of that in society. There is no place for incoherence. By definition, there is no place where you, don't, you wouldn't know where to put it. And this is what leftism does. It is like a giant shovel that comes in, scoops out the content of a thing, leaving a gaping hole behind. And not to get too graphic, but it is perhaps not a coincidence that certain gender-affirming procedures can also be described that way. It is what leftism does in microcosm and literally, and also in macrocosm and figuratively. Take something that at least made sense, that served some kind of purpose, however, however important or superficial it was, and rip it to shreds. Destroy whatever meaning it had. Leaving behind something strange and ugly and pointless and also very often bankrupt. This is what's being done to all of Western civilization. And in comparison, beauty pageants are a rather minor concern. But they serve as a warning sign, if nothing else. That is also why Miss Universe is today, by its own choice, canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.